Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. We've got uh, a message we're going to jump into today, and we're talking about wisdom. And we've been kind of working our way through the book of Daniel, loosely using Daniel and kind of his life and some of the stories that we can learn from his life as a, kind of a guide to learn more about wisdom. And one of the things that we looked at is how Daniel and the others ended up in Babylon in exile and that they were kind of suffering consequences at the hands of people that had lived before them and and what it looked like for them. How did they handle that? And we've talked about how one of the things that was really cool about Daniel is when he arrived in uh, Babylon, he decided ahead of time or purposed in his heart, it says in the scriptures. Uh, and it's like this, we get this picture of a guy who uh, determined to, to follow God and, and determined, committed not to do anything that would defile himself. And so in a modern way of saying that is he decided ahead of time, I'm not going to do anything that's going to mess up my relationship with God, right? He, he just, it was like, I don't, I don't even know what's coming I've just stepped into the land of the unexpected. I have no idea what tomorrow, next week, next month, or next year are going to be like, or if I'll even live that long. But what is in my control is I'm not going to do anything that's going to hurt my relationship with God. And so we see that he made that commitment early on. And then that commitment was something that he had to make over and over and over again. And that commitment, when you make it over and over again, that's like perseverance, right? And Gary unpacked perseverance last week, and I thought he did a really cool job. Uh, If you missed it, definitely go back and catch that one. It was awesome. One of the things that he brought out that really uh, spoke to me and I I liked a lot was that this idea that when we're persevering, when we're going through difficult times, when life gets hard and we're, we're trying to navigate those circumstances where we're not sure how we're going to get through them, and he tied it into the story with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace and how God is with us even in our fiery furnace trials. Like when life is tough, God is a God who doesn't just step back and say, okay, things have got rough for you. It's getting messy over there. Let me know when you've got it figured out. Like clean yourself up, sort through all of your difficult problems, and then I'll jump back into this relationship thing with you. That's so not how God is. God is with us even through the most difficult times. And on the one hand, that is such a cool um, thing to, to wrestle with and think about. It's such an encouragement. But on, on another hand, I think for a lot of people, it's also um, almost sounds too good to be true. Or you may have a hard time understanding or believing that God really will be there for you when you need him. Um, I know for me growing up, uh, my parents got divorced when I was young and my dad was not in the picture for the most of the day-to-day life. And and so I know my experience when I came to God, it was hard for me to hear that God's a God that'll be there for you, that God's a God that is, uh, is going to walk with you through your hard times. Because in my personal experience, I had been through difficult times, times where I think probably a lot of you may be able to relate, where things are really difficult in your life, hard stuff happens, and you really need your dad to be there to walk through those things with you, to have a shoulder to lean on. You need your mom to be there to walk through hard th- things with you or to encourage you or to, to give you support. And, and when that doesn't happen the way it really should happen in your, in your real family, and then you come and hear about a God who's going to be there 
for you when things are tough, sometimes that can be a little bit hard to believe. And in the beginning, it really takes stretching our faith muscles. It really takes stepping out in faith and and putting our trust in the fact that God is who he says he is. He'll act with me the way he's acted with this person and this person and this person and this person. And as we dig into God's word, we're, uh, our confidence is boosted because we see God's character over and over and over throughout the different stories. And it helps us take those faith steps to trust that God is who he says he is and he'll be who he, he says he'll be even with us. And as we start to do that, as we start to dig into God's word and we start to increase our faith and we start to grow in our, in our trust and dependence on him, that's really when we're starting to actually experience walking in wisdom in the beginning of our faith journey. And we've talked about throughout this series that wisdom is like this ability to uh, know the right thing to say or the right thing to do in any given situation. Not, not just the, the smart thing, but the thing that is God honoring, the thing that would please God. Like, what would you do in this situation that makes, that's you and God are good about? What would you say in this situation or what would you not say? That's godly wisdom. And we're going to spend a little bit of time this morning digging into that and, and talking a little bit more about wisdom and some of the things that really come from wisdom. I, I want to remind us there's this great picture of what wisdom is, what it looks like, kind of like this more holistic um, view of wisdom that James talks about. In chapter 3 of James, verses 13 through 18, it, James had this to say. He said, If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is a self, and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth by boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and full of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. There's so much that you could dig into and unpack about wisdom from that particular passage. One of the things I want to make sure that we don't miss and, and is there's this key characteristic of wisdom, and it's what we're going to kind of focus in on today. It says that, that wisdom is humble, and humility comes from wisdom. In the beginning of that passage, he says, when you live an honorable life and do good works uh, with humility, that comes from wisdom. So humility is something that results from walking in wisdom. And we're going to unpack that a little bit and see what we can't learn from Daniel. But before we do, we got to kind of look at the problem for a second. And the, the, the opposite of wisdom is pride, or the opposite of wisdom, the opposite of humility is pride. And and we could jump in and start talking about humility, but I think sometimes there's real value in evaluating the problem first before we sort of say, hey, here's the solution, like here's the positive, here's the better way to be. Sometimes we need to look at the negative first so that we kind of get a grip for it. Um, 
back in uh, doing the youth group days for lots of years doing junior high ministry in particular, we would always wait until like October or November to do training for all of our junior high small group leaders. And we did that on purpose because if you started a brand new volunteer that was really excited to work with seventh grade girls or sixth grade boys or whatever it was, they were gung-ho. And if you said, hey, I want you to come to this training, it was really hard because they were really busy and they didn't have enough time. They didn't really think honestly they needed it. But after we gave them about eight weeks of sixth grade girls, and we said, we'd like to offer a training, they were like, first ones in line, right? Because if you've spent a little bit of time with seventh grade boys, or eighth grade girls, or sixth grade girls, all of a sudden you recognize, like, I could use some help. And so it's important that you experience a little bit of the problem before we start talking about the solution. And so we're going to kind of follow that same train of thought this morning. So we're going to talk a little bit about the problem, which is pride. And in your notes, uh, there's this uh, kind of uh, reference about what pride is there. It says, pride refers to an unwarranted attitude of confidence. While pride can have a positive connotation of self-worth, it's often used in scripture to refer to an unhealthy, elevated view of oneself or abilities or possessions. So there's a big difference between a positive self-image or like, I really see myself the way God sees me. I'm good. Uh, I'm not a, a wretch, right? Like God looks at me as a son or a daughter and, and I'm, I'm right with God. Like there's, there's a right, like seeing yourself the way God sees you. And then there is this thing where it gets puffed up and that's pride. When you start to see an old thumb and it's not, not that fun. I, I remember as I'm just, as I'm saying this, there's a, a kid's face pops in my head. We took a missions trip and I took like, I don't know, 30 kids to Mississippi or something, sixth and seventh graders. That was a really good idea. Um, it actually really was, but man, it was a trip. And one guy on this trip, one of the like seventh grade boys, somehow by the time he was in seventh grade had literally done everything any human has ever done twice. All you'd had to do was ask him like over and over and over. And the poor rest of the kids on the trip were just like, ah, they were pulling away from him like crazy because he was so proud, so boastful. And of course that comes from a different place. But we all recognize it when we see it. And one of the things I want to remind us about is a couple of weeks ago, I shared that um, one of my favorite promises from God is this promise given in Second Chronicles 16.9, where it says that the eyes of the Lord go over the whole earth, roaming to and fro over the whole earth to look for people whose hearts are fully committed to him so that he can give them strength. Some translations say so that he can give them his full support. And so I just love that. On the one hand, we've got God actively scouring the earth, looking for people who are all in, not perfect people, who, for people who are like Daniel saying, as much as I, I don't even know what's coming, but what I can commit to is I'm not going to do anything that's going to hurt my relationship with God. I'm not going to purposely step into sin. I'm going to avoid sin, and I really am committed to following God. And when God sees people who are making those kind of commitments, it says in Scripture that he wants to give them his full support. And so that's pretty awesome, like to be on the side of receiving God's full support is a pretty encouraging place to be. But on the opposite of that or in a different position to that is that I think we have a maybe sometimes a, a not um, 
strong enough understanding as how much God dislikes pride. Because on the one hand, he is out looking to give support to people who are all in and fully committed. He's also actively opposed to pride. When Peter was writing to the uh, early church, one of the things he was trying to do is to help them understand how important it was to encourage one another. And and he said in the the scriptures that, that God opposes the proud, but favors the humble. Like, I don't know about you guys, but doing life in a way that puts me in a camp where it's God opposes doesn't sound really great right like like do do you want to be in the the like God wants to give me his full support or do you want to be in the like I'm living my life in a way that God opposes it he doesn't just like not like it but tolerate it God opposes it and the proverbs are full of information and insights to what God thinks about Pride and Proverbs sixteen five. One of them says, "The Lord detests the proud; they will surely be punished." Like when we hear that God opposes the proud, that He detests. That there's going to be punishment coming. All of a sudden, like. Uh, man, when my ego starts getting big, when like when we say in our culture, like your head's getting too big, right? That's a that's a, a a phrase or a word picture that we're using to say somebody's getting proud, like overly, not in a positive way. That's dangerous territory, and so it's awesome to know that God's on the lookout to strengthen people whose hearts are committed to Him. But I think it's important that we recognize that God is also actively opposing people who are proud. And I don't know if if you guys are like this. One of the things that I naturally do is just ask why a lot. And so it's like I'm learning about this and reminding myself about what God thinks about pride. And, and one of the things that automatically comes to my mind is like, why? Like I see what he says, but why? Why is it that, why, what is it about pride that, that makes God say he detests it, that he can't stand it. And one of the things I think we'll learn is the more you study and the more you read and the more you see what pride looks like and how it plays out, one of the big problems with pride is that it always leads to consequences that hurt people that God loves. Pride's always going somewhere. It's taking you somewhere. And the destination is going to be either you or people around you that God loves are going to end up getting hurt. And we see it played out over and over, and it starts in the very beginning of the garden, right? God makes an amazing, awesome, epic creation, and he makes man and woman in his own image, and and mankind is blessed and good and right with God and right with each other, and the enemy of God comes in and starts to sneak in this other message. This He starts to weave seeds of pride, like, are you sure you can't do this? Like, you should be able to do what you want to do. Like, after all, aren't you in charge of your own body? Like, can't you eat what you want to eat? Can't you go to what you want to go to? Talk to who you want to talk to? Like, you're the king of your castle, right? Like, you, don't you wear the pants in this relationship, right? Like, all those little things that we hear, we're familiar with all these little sayings. 
all of that goes back to this root of, did he really say you can't do that? And so pride takes root and grows, and immediately, immediately when that happens, what are the consequences of it? Right away, we see in Genesis 3-7, it says that at that moment their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, and so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. So like pride right away leads to embarrassment and shame, and they wanted to cover up and hide. We see it play out over and over and over throughout the scriptures, right? God desires relationship with his people. He, he lays out an awesome plan for, for people to experience amazing, wonderful creation, awesome relationships with one another, awesome relationship with him, and people keep pushing back, and pride starts to grow, and instead of humbly following God and God's plan, this pride takes root and and people often sound like a a toddler when they hear no for the first time, right? Like they just, there just keeps this like, why? I I, like, no, I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to do this. And we keep pushing for our way. And as a result, consequences. And, And we see it all throughout scripture from the wickedness that grew up in Sodom and Gomorrah to destroyed relationships, marriages broken, families torn apart. And I know, like in my own personal life, I can look back on my life and see how this has played out. Unfortunately, more than once, right? Like some of these lessons you're like, there was that one time I learned that lesson. I don't have that for a lot of these. I seem to need to learn them several times. But I know when I can remember looking back when I was young, much younger, like in my teenage years, I was the smartest guy I knew. I was definitely smarter than my mom at the time, for sure. I mean, she was just a teacher with a bachelor's degree and a master's in education. I mean, what would she know about kids? Right? Look at how we get, right? And so, and I was like, I'm going to be the master of my life. I, I know what I want to do, what I, where I want to go, who I want to be with, what I want to spend my money on, my time on. And, and even though she's like, eh, I don't know about this and I don't know about that, and here I go. And so pride led me to make choices in relationships, to make choices in friendships, to make choices with my money that all led to consequences that ended up hurting people that God loves. And they cost me a lot of time and effort and energy to dig out of. You see it over and over and over, and I think probably for all of us that are parents, as a, as a person that's not a parent, you can uh, hypothetically wrap your brain around this, but until you're there, it, there's something that happens as a parent where you start to get a really good taste of what God the Father means when he says, I really detest pride. It actually, it hurts people that I love so much. And when you're a parent and you pour time and energy into kids and you sacrifice for them and you invest in them and you love them and you care about them and you're compassionate for them and you go through all the hard work of discipline and training and the not fun parts of parenting and you go through all of that and you've poured your life into them and then they 
just rebel against you one day and you see this pride take root in them and it's like, no, my way is the right way. I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care if you know what you think you know what's best for me. I don't care what your guidelines are. I don't want to hear about your guidelines and they want to go do their own thing. And as a parent, you're over here just going like, yeah, but I'm not giving them because I want to be mean to you. I'm giving them because I've realized the place you're going will hurt you. And you have to just sit back and watch them go sometimes. And as a parent, man, that is a painful process. And you get this taste of what God is like. Yeah, I don't know if you remember the day that I had that conversation with you. And you were like, oof. It's hard stuff. Pride leads to the consequences that, that hurt God the Father. They hurt the people that he loves. So the problem pride, wrestling with that a little bit, being reminded about why it stinks, why it's such a big deal. It's important because the solution is something that we've heard of and I think can kind of dismiss a little bit like like it's a nice idea, but forget really how incredibly important it is. And there's a lot that we can learn from Daniel about Humility and how did he end up being such a humble guy in the circumstances he's in? I think it's important that we remember Daniel's life. Like he goes from taken from uh, uh, Jerusalem at I don't know exactly fifteen, sixteen, seventeen years old. Uh, it, he's uh, turned into a eunuch. Ask the person next to you if you don't know what that is. Um, it's not good uh, for guys. Uh, he is forced to forget his heritage. He's forced to start over in a place. He has no idea what tomorrow holds. And when all of that bitterness and stuff could have taken root, Daniel sets down and says, I I don't know what's coming, but I'm not going to do anything that's going to mess up my relationship with God. I'm sticking with God no matter what. And, And what's crazy is, Throughout the course of Daniel's life, we get to see this huge window into his life, this time span of 80 plus years throughout the book of Daniel. And over and over and over again, he is elevated and praised and put in positions of huge influence to the, to the point of like the kinds of things that most normal people their ego would get the best of them and pride would take root. Like, like Daniel, you're amazing. Look at how smart you are. You are so good that you're so talented. Everything you, you, the decisions you make are so smart. Like the, we've got all of these wise men, all of these people with all of this training and I want you to be in charge. You're the guy that, that I need by my right hand. You're the guy that knows the answers to all these things. I think in a modern context, and this sounds a little bit crazy, but this is like to wrap our brain around what it would have been like to be pulled from the ranks of the regular overnight to be put at the upper echelon of influence and respect. What if your phone rings tonight? Your phone rings and it's like, this is one of those phone calls from the White House Secret Service and uh, we have been researching and we found out that you're the person that knows what we need. And you're like, 
Okay, talk to me, right? And it's like, you, you, you have what we need. We've scoured the whole earth. We've looked at all of the people. You're the one that has the, the kind of life, the, the kind of wisdom, the kind of uh, information that we need. And so we're sending a plane, and you're going to come and counsel, and you're going to be given influence and power and authority at the highest levels. And, and overnight, you go from a, 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 a regular old person to right-hand to the upper levels of leadership in our country, like most people, I think, would struggle a little bit with their ego. But Daniel doesn't do that. Something about Daniel and the way he lived his life, he managed to stay humble. One of the things I think happens uh, or can happen when we look at Daniel is we could sort of kind of do this little compare and contrast, like what am I like and what was Daniel like and and can I be like him? And one of the things we can do to sort of disqualify ourselves and say, well, here's the reason why it's okay that I'm not like Daniel. I'm not as like awesome as him is because God gave him these special abilities and he interpreted dreams and God was telling him everything. And of course, if God was doing that with me and I could know what somebody dreamed and interpreted and I had all this stuff going on, like of course, like that would be a lot easier. I don't have that but he did and so like you sort of distance ourselves from like striving to be like him and one of the things I think we have to remember is we're seeing the a highlight reel of Daniel's life we're seeing like bits and pieces of stories over this 80 year period and some of the stories that we hear are like the epic God moments in his life like the big high markers of the crazy cool God things that happened where where a, a person has a dream and he understands what the dream is and he's able to tell him what it means and that happened a couple times and over the course of 80 plus years, we hear that he has visions and, and God tells him what those visions means. And that happened a couple times. And you see in between those epic God moments, there is a whole bunch of regular life. And one of the things that we have to remember is that Daniel relied on Scripture for God's leadership, for God's direction. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 2, I love that we get to hear it from his own mouth. He says, During the first years of his reign, I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord, as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet, that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. Like, Daniel's getting his wisdom, he's getting his direction, he's getting his uh, understanding of what's going on and how to figure out how to navigate it by sticking with God's word. He doesn't just go, hey, this is what I think we should do, and so I'm going this way and I'm going that way. Like He starts by digging into God's word. This didn't change with Daniel. The importance of God's word and, and knowing and following it didn't change with Daniel. It was the same in the New Testament times. It's the same today. Paul wrote some words to a, a young disciple of his who was passionate about following God, was passionate about starting churches, planting churches, raising up leaders, uh, effectively discipling people and handing them off to local leadership, and then going on along the way. And, and along the way, he could have been puffed up with pride, like you're the guy that's bringing the gospel. You're the guy that's, that's starting and doing all these amazing things. And Paul wrote to Timothy and gave him some really important instructions. And I think they're 
so relevant for us today even still. In 2 Timothy 3, 14, he says, um, Paul said to him, but you must remain faithful to the things that you have been taught. You know that they are true, for you know that uh, you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood and you have, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Right, So relying on God's word, learning from God's word, allowing God's word to give us direction and guidance, all of that helps us stay humble. The, the, the farther you go from spending time in God's word, when you're like, ah, I used to read my Bible like once a week, but now I'm down to like once every three months, or I read some scripture when we're at church, but I honestly, like if you got to look yourself in the mirror, are you in God's word every day? Are you reading? Is it actually giving you direction? Or do you just occasionally read it far less than you read your news feed If that's the case, then what's going on is you're on this slippery slope where you begin to be the director of your life based on your wisdom and your input and what you're gaining from for information instead of like Daniel relying on God's word where God's word guides your life. God's word sets the direction and gives you counsel and corrects you when you're off. The other thing that Daniel did is he prayed. And he did something that was so, I think, important and also uncommon in our regard is that when he prayed, he took personal ownership. He took personal responsibility. He involved himself in the confession and the repentance of sin that he may not have actually personally been involved in. And, and I think for us, in the culture that we live in, this idea of uh, like involving ourselves in some responsibility for things, like what if, uh, what if you think about your dad or your grandpa or your mom or your great aunt and some ways that they got off track or never followed God or were out and out rebellious, would you ever imagine yourself sitting down to God and, and, and thinking about your people in your family that have rebelled or not been right with God? And would you ever imagine yourself sitting down and saying, God, we really messed up in my family. And including yourself, like thinking about it like you have some ownership in your family community. Like in an Eastern world, this is really part of their culture. It's part of the way they think. Jews will say today, when God brought us out of Egypt, as if they were there the very day. In our world, we're so individualized. I, me, my, like uh, my world is my world and I'm in charge of it. And, and like whatever somebody else did, I mean, that's their problem. They got to face the consequences of it. I'm not, I'm not responsible for anybody else's stuff. And God's wanting to give us this picture, I think, and remind us about something that is really cool by the way Daniel prays is that there's something that happens when we take personal responsibility when we're talking to God about the bigger community that we're a part of. 
And so I want to do something. I want to read this prayer to you. And it's not in your notes because it's kind of a longer one. But if you have a Bible, open it up to Daniel chapter 9. And you'll see this prayer in the beginning of the chapter. Uh, Otherwise, it's going to be up on screen and you can just listen. But I want to give you a little bit of an assignment. I want you to grab a paper and a pen or whatever you got. And every time you hear the word, we, us, or our, I want you to just make a tally mark. And I want you to... I want you to get a a visual. I want you to like really key in how little Daniel's talking about himself or excluding himself from the things that other people did wrong and like talking about, you know, like, you know what we hear all the time in the church is people go, oh, the church, the church is this and the church is that and the church has messed up this and the church has messed up that. The way Daniel would talk about that is we have made a lot of mistakes in our past. We have really hurt people. We have not done a good job representing God. And for us today, sometimes it's like, ooh, that's a little tough. So be really paying attention to those words. We, us, our, okay? It goes like this. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, you are great and awesome God. You always fulfill your covenant and keep your, uh, your promises of unfailing love to those who love and obey your commands. But we have sinned and done wrong. We have rebelled against you and scorned your commands and regulations. We have refused to listen to your servants, the prophets, who spoke on your authority to our kings and princes and ancestors and all the people of the land. Lord, you are in the right But as you see, our faces are covered with shame. This is true of all of us, including the people of Judah and Jerusalem and all Israel, scattered near and far, wherever you have driven us because of our disloyalty to you. O Lord, we and our kings, princes, and ancestors are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. But the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God, for we have not followed the instructions he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel disobeyed your instruction and turned away, refusing to listen to your voice. So now the solemn curses and judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured down on us because of our sin. You have kept your word and done to us and our rulers exactly as you warned. Never has there been such a disaster as has happened in Jerusalem. Every curse written against us in the law of Moses came true, yet we have refused to seek mercy from the Lord our God by turning from our sins and recognizing his truth. Therefore, the Lord has brought, us, uh, brought upon us this disaster that he prepared. The Lord our God has, uh, was right to do all these things, for we did not obey him. O Lord our God, you brought lasting honor to your name by rescuing your people from Egypt in a great display of power, but we have sinned and are full of wickedness. In view of all your faithful mercies, Lord, please turn your furious anger away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. All the neighboring nations mock Jerusalem and your people because of our sins and the sins of our ancestors. O our God, Hear your servant's prayer. Listen as I plead. For your own sake, Lord, smile again on your desolate sanctuary. Oh, my God, lean down and listen to me. Open your eyes and see in despair. Uh, See how your city, the city that bears your name, lies in ruins. We make this plea not because we deserve help, but because of your mercy. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, listen and act. For your own sake, do not delay, oh my God, for your people and your city bear your name. It's a pretty passionate prayer. 
It's pretty raw. You're getting this window into the heart of David, or of David, of Daniel, of Daniel praying, and you're seeing what's really coming out of him. Like, what does he really care about? How does he talk to God? And you're seeing how he's including himself, and he takes this responsibility. And I, I wonder, what would it look like for us to think about our family, whether it's your home group, whether it's your mom and dad, whether it's like your grandparents, your cousins, your kids, like what would it look like for us to sit down and take responsibility for our family, for our community, and to pray as if we are we? I know in my family tree, uh, we've done a, uh, my son Noah and I did a whole bunch of research on it for fun uh, at different times, and he got really into the Ancestry.com site and did a really good job of tracking all kinds of stuff down. And as far as we can really track in both directions, there's no obvious record of anybody that really was a Jesus follower. There may have been, but it wasn't, nothing was easily accessible to us. And as far as I know in my direct people that I've had relationship with. I know my grandparents at one time, I think, knew about God. I don't know if they ever really truly followed him. And my parents never did. And so what would it look like for me to sit down and to think about my family? Like, like to say to God, God, I like for so long, we knew about you but ignored you. For so long, your creation testified to us and we ignored it. How do you do that when I'm a person that loves God's creation and God's creation testifies to me and tells me how awesome he is. Like it's been one of the most powerful things in my life. I love nature. I love seeing the intricacies of how amazing and how creative and how there's no way this stuff just happened. And, and, and so for me, that's been my experience, but for my family, they ignored it. And so what would it look like to pray like God for so long, we ignored you. You see, one of the things I want you to wrestle with is that in our American Western kind of mindset where we're so individual and we only want to be responsible for our own selves and our own stuff and we don't want to have anybody else's stuff mess up our stuff is that when we start to think about that, one of the things I think you'll find is you'll start to think like, well, that wasn't me that did that. I didn't do 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 that. And I don't know if you realize it, but by the end of this deal, it's like there's a whole lot of you in the conversation with you and God, and you're just kind of defending yourself. And it sort of puts you on the throne. And something else happens crazy when you start to take personal responsibility and start to pray and think about your family and your community the way Daniel thought about his community. And you start to take responsibility for things that are bigger than you. And you start to talk with God about those things is it requires a whole bunch of humility. Instead of defending yourself, you humble yourself. Another thing that Daniel did is the way that he prayed, he did something real specific 
physically in the way that he prayed. It said that he opened his window towards Jerusalem when he prayed. And so there'd be all kinds of stuff going on in the world around him. There would be things that were going to mess up his relationship with God, things that would cause him to sin. And instead of going out and picketing, instead of throwing a big fit, instead of posting on social media, instead of gossiping and talking to everybody about the person that said the thing that was going to make him sin and everybody knowing what his political beliefs are, he didn't do any of that. He just went home to his room, opened his window and set his face towards Jerusalem and prayed. His answer to, I don't know how to deal with being a Christian in the midst of a crazy world where it seems like half of the people want me to try stuff that's sin and half of the people want me to be a proud of things that are gross and like, I don't know how to navigate all this stuff. Instead of gossiping and telling and, and everybody t- knowing all of his junk, he just went and prayed. But I love this little nugget that we get is that he set his face towards Jerusalem. And for him, it was like, this this is us getting to see that Daniel again, like even when he prayed, he prayed in such a way where his eyes were set on God. He looked to God for solutions. And so it it, it even testifies to his humility when he prays. It's like he's not praying in the comfort of his own circumstances or the, you know, like, Hey, I pray really well in my lazy boy for three minutes. Right. Or like I, you know, a lot of people would say, I pray. When do you pray? Well, I pray when we have a meal. Do you ever pray besides that? Uh, sort of, I talk to God sometimes, but like, what would it look like again? Like we're trying to, we're trying to like push away from pride and fight against it leaking into our lives because it's something that God opposes and detests and it will come with consequences that hurt you and hurt people that God loves. And we don't even want to get anywhere near it and so to be as far from pride as possible is to follow in Daniel's footsteps and be super intentional about doing things that make us uncomfortably humble like getting on our knees and setting our eyes towards God like in your house what would it look like where is your window towards Jerusalem right maybe for fun you might want to get out a map and a compass and just for fun like there's there's nothing supernatural about this don't don't get weirded out but just for fun which window faces Jerusalem maybe that's your new prayer window Maybe one of the places in your house you can see like a really cool lilac bush and there's always hummingbirds and every time you see it, you can't help but almost just worship. For me, my back porch, I live on Sunset Drive and it got a name rightly because every night I get the most epic sunset out our back window, out the back deck. And every night you never get tired of it. It's just like, oh my gosh, there it is again. That's the spot for me. Like if there's any spot in my house that says, man, God is awesome, that's the spot. And so for me, that would be the place to go and pray. And like, instead of just praying in bed before I go to bed, how about I get up and I go to the deck and I actually set my eyes towards God so that I'm being purposely humble. I'm like, I'm adjusting my life. I'm adjusting the way I normally do things because I want to deliberately show you, God, that I'm looking to you for solutions. I'm looking to you for direction. When I pray, I'm praying to you. I'm not distracted. I'm not looking at anything else. So there's these things that we can learn from Daniel. We can learn that we, we, it's so important that we rely on God's word for direction. It's so important that we wrestle with this idea of taking responsibility for our family, for our community, praying and talking to God in a new way that stretches us to be more humble. So we put our eyes towards Jerusalem. We put our eyes towards heaven. 
So we're going to finish up uh, this morning with communion. And there's just a few things in your notes that I'm going to zip through while we uh, get our communion cups open. So go ahead and grab your communion cups. If you're watching at home, grab your uh, communion elements. And in just a minute, we're going to take communion together. The few things I want to just touch on to make sure that we kind of take away from here is that ultimately pride's about not trusting God. It starts to show up when we start thinking my way is better than his. To remember that pride kills our relationship with God just like it does in our relationships with our people here. That pride takes us out of the fight And even worse than out of the fight, it puts us in a position where we're embracing and giving life to something that God opposes and detests. And that should rattle us a little bit. Like, I don't want to, like, I've been there many times. It's easy to slip in. I think pride is one of the sneakiest little seeds that gets planted and starts to grow. You just don't know it until almost somebody looks at you and goes, whoa, you think you're awesome. And we're like, whoa, wait a minute. How did I get here? We've got to fight against pride, fight to be humble. Every week we take communion so that we don't get far from remembering what Jesus did for us. And if there's ever been an example of what it looks like to live humbly, all the way to the end, it was Jesus. Literally willing to be humiliated because the, the story, the, the mission that he was on was more important than his pride. And so as we take this communion, I, I, that's the thing for us is to remember that we are on that same mission to point people to God, to point people to salvation, to forgiveness of sins. And, and that mission is more important than our pride. We have a good leader to follow. And that's what we remember when we take communion this morning. We remember that Jesus' body was broken for us. And so we remember the body of Christ as we take the bread. And with the cup, we remember the blood of Christ that was shed for our sins. Let's take the cup. Hey, one of those little pride checks we can do is a lot of times when uh, I think it, when we come to worship and it comes to actually standing up and singing and, and ignoring the people around us and just, just you personally worshiping, when you're wrestling with, I'm uncomfortable, it feels weird to me, I'm worried about what other think, people think about me, like a lot of times that might be kind of that self-conscious stuff that's like pride trying to grab root behind there. Like, no, you, you don't have to do this. You don't need to do it. That's not really that important, right? And I would just encourage you, man, when we worship kick that stuff to the curb and just be humble enough to be like, I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what anybody thinks. I get to worship my God. So let's get on our feet and let's practice what we preach. Let's worship. 
Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.